It's part two of our show on what might be the worst campaign in modern political history. I'm Matt Robeson. This is Beyond Politics, and I'm joined once again by Kartik Krishnayer, who's the proprietor of the best politics blog on Florida, or maybe on any state in the country. It's called the Florida Squeeze. And if you subscribe to Beyond Politics, wherever you get your audio podcasts, hopefully you already heard part one. And if you haven't, head on over there, and the full video is also going to be up on the Blue Amp channel. So, here we go. We're going to pick up with part two of my interview with Kardik, where I'm talking about Kardik's point that Ron DeSantis is going to get totally exposed in the Republican primary debates because everyone's going to gang up on him. And that's just part of the larger problem for Republicans, that they all focus on taking each other down. And the person that helps most is Donald Trump. That's the thing that we've seen over and over again is this is a collective action problem is this is just great for Trump. This is he's tinting his fingers like Mr. Burns and then screwing up trying to say the word excellent. He has the ability because of such a diffuse Republican field to just anyone who rises a little bit above, he just swipes the scythe right across their head. And you, you saw it with Tim Scott this week, but oh, great, you're in third place. Boom, I'll unload on you. Oh, Nikki Haley, you're looking frisky for a minute there. Bang. And I think this is true. I think that it's what sucks for Ron DeSantis and his position in this attempted reboot is that above him, he's got Trump, who's going to, if he looks like he's getting any momentum, is going to continue to freaking unload. And it works, right? And then below him, he's got the rest of the field that's all trying to catch up and take him down. He's getting it from both ends, and it's really going to suck. I'll just, one more thing on DeSantis. This is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. If you look at the national polling averages in the Republican primary field, there's been a lot of analysis recently that, oh, the indictments have only made Trump stronger. I dispute that. I dispute it. I think that's possible. I can't discount it. But I think that there is a competing explanation that we can't do away with. You look back to early April when we saw the New York indictments. And yes, in the following weeks, Trump does get a six-point bounce. We've seen that pattern before. He gets a temporary bounce when he got impeached the second time, when there was the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. He's gotten short-term bounces of about that scale. And by the way, it diminished. It, it four points disappeared and evaporated about two weeks later and he stays pretty even that's not really what's going on you don't see you don't see big jumps around these two sets of indictments what you do see is a steady decline in ron desantis ron desantis formally announced on may 24th he had about a week there where he built a couple of points right around that announcement and it's been all slide since then everything that trump has picked up seems to almost exactly parallel what DeSantis has lost. So my only point really is this. I think the national punditocracy can continue to claim that it, it seems like a bulletproof theory that these indictments only help Donald Trump. Not sure it's true. I think that the story here is just as likely to be that Ron DeSantis is just bleeding support. And as he continues to bleed it, they're not going elsewhere in the field. We're not seeing... Vivek Ramaswamy, we're not seeing Mike Pence, we're not seeing we're not seeing these other people really pick up. They're all pretty flatlined in the polls. It just seems to be creeping back to Trump. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's always the situation with the front runner. There is this 
theory in politics, which has been disproven time and again, that is the front runners numbers. If, if everyone else dropped out, all the, all of that would go to the challenger. That's never been the case. If as, as time goes on and these candidates bow out, maybe 60% of the Ramaswamy supporters will go to whoever is second in the field, but then 40% will still go to Trump. And same thing with Pence, same thing on and on. I, and I agree with you, Trump's recovery, if you want to say, flatlining even from the post-indictment bump was more DeSantis supporters as DeSantis's support collapsed across the board going to Trump. And some of those people went to other candidates further down in the field as well. And it split the same way I'm talking about. Trump is the front runner. So he got four of those 10 DeSantis voters that left and the rest of the field got six of 10. But that was enough to keep him at the same trajectory instead of losing the bump that he would have lost otherwise, that he had lost after the raid on Mar-a-Lago, as you said, that he had got among Republicans after the impeachments. That w- that actually probably did disappear, but it was offset by this DeSantis vote that had collapsed. Right. Look, I think that what people undersell is just how little attention most normally humans pay to this stuff. Yes, you right. and I are in this tiny sliver of Americans who pay like rabid attention to this. The best politics movie out there. I'm telling you, this is true. I, I spent 10 years as a congressional staffer and the very best, the most accurate, the most telling movie is The Distinguished Gentleman, the Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and it's it's not- it Takes like, place uh, in Florida. Obviously he's a Florida it congressman. It takes place in Florida. That is what I'm saying. And he, the, the setup for this is the incumbent congressman dies and it just so happens that Eddie Murphy's character has the exact same name and he gets <laughs> all the campaign signs and all the swag and he runs on the slogan, the name, that's what matters at this stage of the campaign. The name, why is Ron DeSantis bleeding support to Donald Trump? Because Donald Trump is the name. I don't know who the heck these other people are, right? Who the heck is Nikki Haley? I don't know, unless I'm someone like me or you, Cardick. But this is the other reason why DeSantis' reboot isn't going to work, because I think Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, even though Mike Pence was the VP, right, and was governor of Indiana, all of the other people in the field now, even Will Hurd running, which is a little bit of a joke, you talk about a guy totally mispositioned to run in a GOP primary in this day and age. They're not national figures. If you look at the poll numbers, DeSantis is already known and defined by the greater chunk of the national electorate than any candidates outside of Biden and Trump. His name ID is extraordinarily high for a guy that's a governor of a state and has never run nationally before. So that's another reason the reboot won't work. There is no way to redefine DeSantis. He is literally the name also already, and he's defined very poorly, and you can't redefine someone like that. This is unfortunately, as a Democrat, I say this in hindsight, this is one of maybe the things where we dodged a bullet in 2008 when we didn't nominate Hillary and we didn't learn the lesson and she was already defined to such a large percentage of the electorate. We were going to have a problem with her as a nominee. I say that that with a lot of regret, but it's true. Hey, DeSantis campaign, pay attention to this one. Okay. I've solved your problem. If you've got such a negative brand, rebrand, right? Just change Ron DeSantis' name to X. Or if you want to really go for it, change his name to Q. Okay, I've got two more topics for and you. And X, of course, the guy behind X is a big DeSantis backer anyway. So maybe Gosh. they can get together. What a couple of two parallel disasters happening at the same well, time. Well, right? talk- actually, before we move on. Go, go. The disaster started with him launching with oh, Elon yeah. Musk and David Sachs on, on Twitter. Twitter. Spaces. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. They would have done better, honestly, to announce by Telegraph. I'm serious. <laughs> it would have at least been novel and it would have gotten media attention. It's like, really, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you using, using this technology in which we're in a video age? I know we're on audio podcast as well. I love my, all my audio podcast people, but there's video available now. Let's do that. That seems like a good idea. Or unless you have a punchable face like Ted Cruz. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, two more for you. One, can we talk for a moment about what I think is the under the radar race that people are not paying enough attention to, that they should be? I'd say it's quite possibly next year at this time, July, 2024, this may be the race that we're all talking about in America. And I'm talking about your boy, Rick Scott, for our national audience. Could you explain what a colossal jerk Rick Scott is and why we should be paying attention to this race? Yeah, in fact, it's so bad in some ways Rick Scott makes Ron DeSantis look good because Rick Scott's a climate denier, which DeSantis isn't. Actually, DeSantis's first year in office, he did well on climate change. Then he decided, oh, I'm going to be president, so I need to fit in with the GOP orthodoxy. But he's a climate denier. He's a guy who wanted to cut Social Security. He wanted to cut Medicare. By the way, Florida. Big senior population, terrible stance here. Rick Scott has never won a race, statewide race, by more than a point. 2010, horrible Democratic year, Tea Party wave. He only wins the governorship by a point. 2014, horrible Democratic year. The Democrats lose control of the Senate, and those races weren't close. Mary Landrieu got killed. Mark Pryor got killed. Nick Begich got killed. The Republicans won the governorship by a point with Rick Scott, 60,000 votes statewide in a horrible Democratic year. In fact, it was such a, Rick Scott was so unpopular that there were, we have 120 state house seats in Florida. There were 16 state house seats that day that voted for the Republican and elected a Republican to the state house and voted for the Democratic nominee, who was Charlie Crist, who was a former Republican, but was a Democrat by that time. So unpopular. 2018, he beats Bill Nelson by uh, a six-tenths of a point. There were ballot irregularities. There was all kinds of controversy over that race. And also, Rick Scott has the liability, and we've just spent a lot of time bashing around DeSantis, but Rick Scott has the liability of being someone who is an outcast in DeSantis world. Him and DeSantis don't like one another. DeSantis won't do anything to rescue him, if need be, in that Senate race. In fact, DeSantis was so not into Scott that even during that recount against Bill Nelson, DeSantis just, hey, I'm out of this. Let the election officials... This is a guy, DeSantis, famously authoritarian, right? Just let the election officials sort it out in those counties. He is vulnerable. He has never performed at the Republican number in this state. This is important when you just think about it from a metric standpoint. If you're looking at 10 and 14, the average Republican statewide candidate outside of Rick Scott got about 54% of the vote in Florida. Scott himself got 49 in, in 2010 and 48 in 2014. Again, two Fat, hugely Republican years. 2018, a little different because it was a Democratic year. So the number isn't, the gap isn't quite as wide that year. But although he did run worse than, than the rest of the Republican ticket, with the exception of the Ag Commission candidate. So he is much weaker than the Republican numbers. So if we're into this thing, which I know people in DC are into, which is, oh, the, de- the baseline, what's the PVI, right? What's the, it's R plus whatever. So we can't go down there. Rick Scott is different. 
he's not as much of a douchebag as Marco Rubio is, as much of a jerk as Rick Ron DeSantis are. Those two guys, they'll at least hold the Republican number. This guy won't. You're looking at two, three, four percent of the electorate, upwards of four percent of the electorate statewide that vote for other Republican candidates and historically would not vote for him. We're talking about, okay, if at the DSC, they're looking at this and saying, oh, Florida's a plus, I think it's maybe now a plus four or five percentage point Republican state, that really makes this race maybe R plus one in reality. I mean, that that seems to me to be perhaps Democrats' biggest pickup opportunity. Let's not forget that Rick Scott oversaw the biggest Medicare fraud in American history at the time when he was the CEO of Columbia HCA, fined, the company was fined $1.7 billion for defrauding senior citizens, for defrauding- Which is, by the way, the reason why he consistently runs behind the Republican average in the state. In 2010 and 2014, as I said, two huge Republican wave elections, and there were waves in Florida too. Don't get me wrong. It's not that Florida was some holdout. It's just that he lost a a certain percentage of the Republican vote that were voting for Republicans down ballot, both those elections, but could not vote for him and voted for the Democrat because of the Medicare fraud, because these were seniors by and large. And it will happen again in 2024. Let's say Trump is the presidential nominee and he wins Florida. He gets 53% in Florida. Scott will be under 50. I'm telling you, there is 4% on average that will vote against him, that vote for other Republican candidates. And there are potentially some very strong strong Democrats who could get into the race. There's one declared candidate right now who appears to be a very strong candidate, Navy veteran Phil Ayer. Anything for our national listeners to know about Phil Ayer? Yeah, I think he's really well-versed on the issues, has the right profile, the kind of profile, quite frankly, we needed to recruit more of in Florida. A military veteran, someone with a lot of lot of experience on those sorts of issues, will present himself well to, to the electorate, the general electorate in Florida. Maybe Democratic primary is a little different. This is why I had in the back of my mind, before Biden tapped him to be a spokesperson at the Pentagon, hey, let's try and reach out to John Kirby. He's from Florida. Let's run him. Starvitas is from Florida also. Let's, Florida native, let's reach out to him. Let's run him. I love Phil Ayer's profile, and I think he potentially can be a very strong candidate. We've seen upsets like this before in Florida history and in U.S. Senate races in general. Unfortunately, I, I hate to say this, I've laughed off Republican candidates that came out of nowhere. In 20, 2009, around this time, I was laughing off Ron Johnson saying, there's no way this guy's going to beat Russ Feingold. The Republicans are just putting a Paul Ryan type droid that's even less personable up against our guy. As a liberal Democrat, Russ Feingold's my guy. He beat us. And he beat us again in 2016. And he beat us again in 2022. So you could never predict these things too accurately. And I think Phil Ayer is a great candidate. And I am, I just want to reinforce that for the national audience. Rick Scott is a lot less popular than other Republicans in the state. His approval ratings have never really gone over 50. As much as we bashed DeSantis today, Matt, DeSantis has still got a 54% approval rating in Florida. Rick Scott doesn't have anywhere near that number. Wow. All right. Let's, I just want to hit you with one more topic because I just, when we talk about as a broad, we started this show with me saying it's very hard these days to understand the picture of what's happening in American politics by looking at the broad picture of American politics. You really need to go state by state. You really need to go to what's happening on the ground. And we're seeing that play out in Ohio with the August 8th referendum coming up where an illegitimate 
illegal Ohio legislature elected with a gerrymandered map that their state Supreme Court said was illegal. They said you redraw it and they were only not held in contempt of that Supreme Court because of a decision by the Chief Justice. It's, it's an illegal legislature created an illegal referendum to try to move the goalposts to try to prevent any protection of abortion rights in Ohio. We keep seeing these anti-democratic measures happening state by state. And Florida, as if they don't want to be left out of the party of the Republican march toward autocracy, has gotten in on the game. And I got to say, this is something, again, from a national level, not being a Florida person, I was unaware of this until this past weekend. Florida has canceled all mail-in ballot requests. Kardec, what the hell, man? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, and they've done it in, they've cherry-picked. They've actually done it in urban counties, more Democratic counties. This is very typical of the way DeSantis operates. And we had a voting bill in 2021, which really gutted a lot of the protections. And again, they were given the green light by the Supreme Court in 2013 with that ruling on the Voting Rights Act. Although now it seems like Roberts is a little regretful of it. And obviously, Brett Kavanaugh, not surprisingly to me, because I looked at some of his lower court decisions, Kavanaugh has sided with the liberals on voting. VRA cases, which also has gotten Alabama and Louisiana and all kinds of trouble. But this is really something to note about DeSantis. And maybe we'll leave on this note. You talk about leg- redistricting, and we're just talking about the Voting Rights Act and redistricting done by legislatures in all of these states, Ohio, Alabama, Louisiana, North Carolina, really infamous the last couple cycles. In Florida, the Florida Republicans in the legislature actually did the right thing and passed a fair map. DeSantis vetoed the map, then in unprecedented fashion, I think for any state in the union, offered his own map, had someone in his office playing on computer on the computer, the redistricting programs, drawing their own districts. His legal counsel, his chief legal counsel, offered the map. This is last year, obviously, during redistricting, said, you take this map or else. And he had vet- and he had already vetoed the bipartisan map that had gone through and the legislature crumbled because they didn't have the votes to over, because then by that time, some of the Republicans had voted for the map were like, oh, I'm not going to break with DeSantis, blah, blah, blah. There were even rumors Trump had tried to intervene privately to get Republicans to override the veto because it would be good for him strategically. And it would have actually, maybe the Democrats would have held the House if not for this situation in Florida. Andrew Cuomo, that's another issue, right, in New York. But those two states are what swung the House. And they crumbled, and DeSantis's map, the map that is now the Florida congressional map, was drawn in the governor's office by DeSantis's chief legal counsel without any public input, without anything else. That map will go to the Supreme Court at some point. It also violates the state constitution, actually. And we have a constitutional, a state constitutional case now that's working its way through the court system in, in running on parallel paths with the federal case, which will make it to the Supreme Court at some point. And based on how Kavanaugh swung on each of North Carolina, Louisiana, and Alabama. I think he might vote with us on this. Roberts, maybe. Maybe the map gets thrown out. But this is something that's very Florida. So Ohio, Alabama, and Louisiana 
on the same path. And in Florida, it's being driven by one guy, whereas there it's just crazy legislators. This is, I think this is a perfect note to end on, because not only did you bring it full circle to Ron DeSantis, a couple of things to note. One, people who are still deluding themselves, that somehow Ron DeSantis is the other white meat, that he's Trump without all the crazy, that at least <laughs> he's not going to try to bomb Mexico or set off a nuclear weapon inside a hurricane or draw the path of a hurricane with a Sharpie or inject cleaning fluid into his body or any of this other Trumpian craziness. I assure you that the basic virus that's infected the Republican Party, Republicans like to talk about the woke mind virus, forget that. The virus that's infected the Republican Party is authoritarianism. And people who don't take this seriously, we're just gonna keep bringing you these examples of Republicans going full authoritarian fascist whenever they get the chance. The presidential biographer, Robert Caro says, power doesn't corrupt, power reveals. And what we are seeing with Ron DeSantis is when he attained power, it revealed who he was. And it's revealing everywhere that Republicans have gained power, who they are now. I'm not talking about the Republican party of yesteryear. Many people who consider themselves still Republicans. I consider some of my best friends to be Republicans. I'm sorry, you're holding on to a Republican party that doesn't exist. Now, when they've gotten power, they've revealed themselves with these authoritarian, anti-democratic, hold on to your own control, Bibi Netanyahu style moves at every turn. And that's what we're seeing from Ron DeSantis. That's of course what we're seeing with Donald Trump. And that's what we're seeing with the Republican Party writ large. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think this is something that Caro, of course, was talking about Lyndon Johnson, by and large, when he was talking about that. And although I'm just hoping he gets that fifth volume done. Speaking oh. of Caro, yeah, I'm just, yes. Yeah, Send good health thoughts. Send yeah, good. he's almost 90 now, or maybe 90. So let's just hope he gets it done. Best series. If you've never read A Means of Ascendant, Master of the Senate, and, all, and his books about LBJ, unbelievable. But the Republicans have revealed who they are not just with Trump, but with all these state governors. Scott Walker, actually, you maybe this is where we come full circle. That was the tr tipping point. When Scott Walker pulled what he did in Wisconsin and got away with it, the Republican Party was changed forever. That was it. That was the moment. Once Republicans around the country saw, oh, we can bust unions. Oh, we, we can, can do that now? We can violate the state constitution. We right. can crush our enemies. Let's do it everywhere. So right. I would actually say we can go further back to Newt Gingrich and his conduct in the House. But in terms of executive branch, I think Walker really was the tipping point that made the Republican Party a full-on authoritarian fascist party. He's someone that we can laugh about, his presidential campaign, but in terms of the national discourse and dialogue, very damaging, poisonous guy, really should be judged by history to be the same state that gave us Joe McCarthy. Maybe another bad legacy of Wisconsin is Scott Walker. What a stone-cold bummer to end on, man. I wanted to talk about soccer. You're hosting Lionel Messi. You used to work for MLS. You've got Lionel yeah. Messi now. We've Here all in my him, town, yeah. Which is so freaking delightful. We've got the Women's World Cup, the U.S. They're doing okay. Which I do want to say one thing about that before we sign off. There is now these patriotic conservatives, right? These patriotic Republicans are out there cheering against our women in the World Cup. Yeah. I, it's unbelievable because they can't divorce politics and their conformist authoritarian view of the world from anything. Oh, there might be people representing the United States that don't have the same exact political views as them. And so they cheer against them. So the next time they tell a liberal, we're not patriotic, put that back in their face.
Yeah, really, it's just, oh, it's delightful stuff. Hey, you know what? I Now that we've gotten that out of our system, and now that hopefully all our viewers and listeners have absorbed the whole thing, let's think about soccer. It's just, it's so much more hopeful and delightful. All right, Hope Springs Eternal, Go U.S. Women, and Carter Krishnire. Everyone, check out the Florida Squeeze and your book. Say it again. Florida and the British before the American Revolution. You can find it on Amazon or you can Google or you can type in my name on Amazon and it'll pop up. It's a short book. It's really meant as an introduction to the topic. And again, largely written because Ron DeSantis inspired me to write it because DeSantis has such a whitewashed view of history. So a lot about free African-Americans and runaway slaves and Native Americans contributing to Florida as a vibrant colony and also Catholics who eventually the book ends basically with Catholics in Florida we don't want to side with those kind of crazy Protestant rebels. And we're going to, we're going to arm our, our black population and fight against the American patriots. Now that's maybe not the kind of narrative that the sanitized version of American history, people who subscribe to that want out there, but it's what the book is about. All right. The link is going to be in the show notes on the pod. It's going to be in the YouTube show notes on the Blue Am channel. Carter Krishnire, thanks so much. Great. Thank you.